Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, thanks for braving the the cold today and being here, uh, showing up at church and being a part of church today. I know a lot of people are watching online today with us, so we're thankful for that. Uh, I, I'm very thankful for the technology that we have, that we're able to do those kind of things, that whether you can't be here because of cold or because of uh, maybe the virus numbers going up and you don't feel comfortable being here, uh, I'm thankful that we can have the technology to still be connected. Um, that last song really reminded me of the book of Ezekiel. In fact, it's Ezekiel chapter 37 that that last little part comes out of. Um, it's also really important to understand about some of the world events that are going on and how that relates to that last song and how it relates to Ezekiel 37 through 39. So this is not part of the sermon today. I'm giving you a little bonus material here, but I wanted to read some of these things. Um, in the Bible, we're, we've been talking about, by the way, if you're, this is your first time here, we are talking about a series called The End Game or The End of All Things. We've been looking at what the Bible says about what the end times events prophecies are. Now, there are four primary timelines. There's probably more, but there's four primary timelines that really run concurrent. They're parallel timelines, but they're covering different events. In the book of Revelation, you see a timeline that covers the age of the church. At the end of the age of the church, you move into the end times events. In the book of Matthew, we find Jesus talking to the disciples, giving the disciples the specific signs to look for in the end times and his return in the end of all things. We see also in the book of Daniel, the rise up of an antichrist empire, the rise up of this empire that will happen in Daniel 7 through 12, and it corresponds with the end times events as well. And then in the book of Ezekiel, we see the timeline of Israel. We see the timeline of how Israel is going to come back together and those events before the end. Now, all four of those timelines run parallel and then they converge together into the final end times events. They all they all come together and they connect together. In the book of Ezekiel, we are seeing things that are happening on a world stage that are fulfilling the things that are talked about in Ezekiel. Let me explain that. I would encourage you to go back and read Ezekiel chapters 37, 38, and 39 to understand how Israel ties in to the end times events. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, it says this, uh, Ezekiel is going to have a prophecy. He's going to see a vision from God. God is going to speak to Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel sees a valley, and the valley is full of bones. It is full of, of skeletal, uh, you know, skeletal bones. It's, part, it's the human bodies that are just skeletons are scattered everywhere. Uh, God says to Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones and call these bones to life. All of a sudden, in this vision, Ezekiel sees these bones come to life. It's like what we would see on TV today. You see the picture of a skeletal system standing up. 
all of the insides being, being formed and then the muscular system being formed and then skin being wrapped around it. And all of a sudden, they go from dead to life. That's what Ezekiel sees. And he saw it 2,500 years before the event was actually fulfilled. He sees these dead bones come to life. Then God says to Ezekiel, this is the picture of Israel. Israel will be dead and gone, and it will come back to life. In fact, we know it's the end times events because it says that there won't be a northern and a southern kingdom of Israel anymore. It'll just be one kingdom, one land. Well, that didn't happen until May 14th, 1948. 2,500 years before the event, Ezekiel sees this vision. And this vision is uh, the bones will come to life. The country will come to life. The nation will come to life. I will bring them forth from surrounding areas. And that's what Ezekiel talks about. Then in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, it goes and it carries forward to the end times events, the last days. In the last days, here's what you're going to see. Now, here's what I want to highlight for you. Chapter 38, verse, starting in verse 8, and I just want to read a few verses, and let me explain them. It says, after many days, you will be summoned, and, he's and what is being talked about is the Antichrist, the beast system. In the latter years, or in the last years, is what the literal term is, in the last years, you, the Antichrist system, will be brought against the land that has been brought back from the sword and regathered from many peoples on the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. So he's saying this Antichrist system is going to come against the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was laid waste. It didn't exist. Now it comes back and the Antichrist system will come against it. There will be a great battle. What this is called in the book of Jeremiah is the day of Jacob's trouble. This is the time of Jacob's trouble. When all of the people, now, now this is what I wanted to show you. When all of them, that is Israel, are dwelling securely. When Israel is at a point that they are dwelling securely, you will come up, Antichrist system, you will come up like a storm and you will be like a cloud covering the land and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, Adonai Elohim, it will come to pass in that day, that is the last days, in that day that things will come into your heart, into the Antichrist, and you will devise an evil plan. You will say, I'm going to go up against Israel. I'm going to go up against the land. And that land is described in this way. It is a land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who live securely all of them living without walls, having no bars or gates. Now, why do I bring all of that up? Because we are starting to see the seeds of that being fulfilled. Now, what did I just read? Israel is going to be regathered as a nation. Then Israel will be under attack constantly. And that's what we see all the time. Israel is constantly under attack. Iran and all of its proxies are waging war against Israel nonstop. But there will come a time that Israel will not have that war coming against them. They will feel peace. When they feel peace, they will let their guard down. No more walls surrounding the country. No more walls surrounding the cities. No more bars on the doors or the windows. Everybody will feel secure. That is happening. 
in this thing that we call, or that's called in our government, called the Abraham Accord. Have you been watching and following this at all? The Abraham Accord is an amazing peace process that has started, and it's something that Trump has done that is just absolutely remarkable. Whether you think he's the greatest or you think he is the worst, what he has been doing is absolutely amazing when it comes to the peace of Israel. They have created a peace covenant that first stretched from Israel to the United Arab Emirates, the UAE. Now you're seeing planes go back and forth. It is historic, the events that are happening. That also stretched into Bahrain. It's also just on Friday announced that now Sudan has entered into this peace accord. And there are several other nations that are lining up in order to have peace. Now, what is it doing? It is fulfilling this thing in Ezekiel that the country will be at peace. They will let their guard down. Then the Antichrist system will come against them. And that's where all of these four parallel timelines that the Bible gives start to converge. Daniel, the Antichrist system has been rising up, and I can show you when we get to that point, I will show you how it is working behind the scenes today, how it is starting to come together and coalesce today. We see that event happening. Israel is feeling secure, and it's setting the stage for what we have been describing as the end game or the end times events. Now, none of that was in my notes. None of it was part of the message today. It's a little bonus for you. There you go. You're welcome. You know, gave you something for free here today. All right. We are today continuing in Matthew 24. Now, this timeline is Jesus giving the signs of when he will return and when the end of all things will be. Now, let's look at this. Now, today, what we're going to do is what I would call a supplemental sermon. It is not continuing on in the verses, but it's answering some questions that I received this past week, dealing with the things that I talked about last week. Let me get to that. Here's what it says. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately. And they said to him, and they asked him three questions. Tell us, when will these things happen? And he's talking about the end events. When will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they ask him again those three questions. When are these things going to happen? What are the signs? What should we be looking for? What is the sign of your return, Jesus? What sign should we, paying, be, we be paying attention to? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? And are these things connected? Are they interrelated? Is your coming and the sign of the end of the age one and the same? When are these things going to take place? What should we be looking for? How should we know when this is going to happen? Now, they ask three questions that we ourselves should be asking. Any good Bible student should be approaching the Bible with those kinds of questions. It is not wrong to bring questions to God. We don't understand it all, so I want to know. There are two kinds of people in life. There are the people who ask questions that are designed to tear you apart, to poke holes in everything that you do. They are designed to tear down the foundation. Then you have the kind of people that ask questions for the purpose of putting the pieces together. I'm trying to put the puzzle pieces together. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to understand. We have people that are learning and teachable versus people that are stubborn and feel like they already know everything. I'm going to encourage you to be the kind of person who the Bible describes as being teachable. 
willing to learn, willing to understand. And don't take my word for everything. I am not the end all of knowledge. Take everything I say, filter it through the word of God and see if the word of God matches. See if the word of God matches up to all of this. Okay, well, let's get into today's, today's stuff. Let's look at today's um, stuff. So we, we read Matthew 24, verse 3, and now he's going to continue on. They say, when will these things be? What will be the sign? How are we going to know? What's the end of the age? Well, Yeshua Jesus, that is, Jesus himself answered them saying, be careful that no one leads you astray or deceives you. For many are going to come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, or I am anointed, or I am a representative of God, or I talk for God, and you just need to listen to me. Be careful, because many are going to step up, and they are going to say, I am God's person, and they are going to lead many people astray. They may only be one degree off, they may be several degrees off, but the goal is to lead people astray. You see that happening all around us. I don't know if you saw this past week, but the, um, the, the Pope came out with a statement and the Catholic Church, a lot of the Catholics that I know are kind of going crazy about this statement that he made, but he basically started to agree with the, uh, the idea of same-sex marriage. Now that goes against biblical teaching. Whether you agree with it or not does not matter. What does the word of God say? People who deceive will say, don't listen to the word of God, listen to me. Don't listen to God's word, listen to my opinion and my voice. Instead, we reject that and say, no, the word of God is the foundation. It is the basis of truth in all that we do. So he says, be careful that no one leads you astray. And then it says this, you will hear of wars and you are going to hear of rumors of wars. Again, I want to encourage you to pay attention to world events. Do we hear anything about wars? Do we hear any rumors of wars? Especially focus in on the Middle East, what is going on around Israel. That is the key epicenter of all. Now, in Israel, Iran is constantly waging war against Israel, but they don't do it directly. They do it through their source of proxies. Proxies are uh, actors on behalf of Iran. Iran is filtering money and weapons, and they are acting upon them. Hezbollah is one of the groups that does that. Um, they are wars. They're rumors of wars. Right now, this past week, Greece and Turkey are doing some sword rattling. Greece is positioning some of their battleships in the Mediterranean Sea, and they are preparing for Turkey to come against them, for war to happen. So they're preparing for that, whether it's a war or a rumor of war. Armenia and Azerbaijan, which is right north of Iran, they are at war and conflict. Maybe you heard about a week ago, there was in France this school teacher. And the school teacher was a civics teacher. He was teaching, uh, I think he's a middle school, high school teacher. And he was teaching about uh, political satire in his class. And he showed some cartoon pictures and images from the local newspapers about the prophet Muhammad. And these cartoons infuriated the Muslim community. One of the Muslims in the community, a uh, very uh, extreme uh, Muslim from Chechnya, an 18-year-old, found this teacher 
in an alley or on the street somewhere after a school day, stabbed him to death, then decapitated him. That is the extreme views that are happening. That are, those are world events that are going on. He says, see that you, you are going to hear of wars, rumors of wars. Don't be alarmed because this, look at these words, this must happen. These things have to happen. You can't avoid these things. We try to think, well, we can be in control and we can make difference politically and things like that. And, and go ahead and try. But there's a lot of things that are just going to happen that we do not have the power to stop. They must happen in order for the end to come. He says they must happen, but the end is not yet. These are just the birth pains. These are the beginning points and stages of labor. Nations are going to rise against nation. Kingdoms will rise against kingdom. There are going to be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now, last week I preached about that. I talked about earthquakes that will happen. Did you guys catch on Monday after I had said that? Not that I had anything to do with it, just so you know, but on Monday after I said that, that there was a 7.6 earthquake that happened in Alaska? And then Dave Green informed me that there was one that happened in Wyoming the same day. There was like a, it was like a 2.9 earthquake that happened uh, near Thermopolis. These things are just happening. Pay attention. Be aware. Famines, earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, nations against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms. And I told you last week that the nations against nations, that's that the Greek word is ethne, it's ethnic, it's it's racism, ethnic groups, tribalism, that is going to come up to the forefront. And we are seeing those kinds of things happen. Now that gets me to the message today. That is all part of the introduction. That was a really long introduction. But the question that I received last week, the number one question that I received from multiple people is this. If we are going to see famines and earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars that Jesus gives us, how... Or should we prepare? So today, I want to give you a little bit of a supplemental message. And the title of the message is this. It is preparedness for the end of all things. How am I to prepare? Does the Bible say anything about how I should pre prepare? Should I prepare? Is it biblical at all to prepare for these things that are going to happen? Well, as we get into this, let's pray. And let's ask for God to bless this. Lord, this is your time. We are your people. We want to hear from you. They don't want to hear from me, Lord. They want to hear from you. We want to hear what you have to say. Should we prepare? Should we not prepare? Is it a lack of trust or is it trusting you to prepare? Lord, help us to know. Help us to be aware of the signs. Help us to see the things that are in front of us. Help us to pay attention to the world events, not just looking at our own country or our own community. Help us to see the things that are happening all around us on a geopolitical point of view. Father, we thank you for our time. I pray, Father, that it would be your spirit by your power and your strength that you would speak to us. Give us hearts ready to receive your truth. And help us, Lord, to be ready to respond. We thank you, Father, for this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I know this idea of being prepared, or you can think of it this way, being a prepper. How many of you have watched TV shows or you've heard stories or you know people that you would consider are preppers? Maybe you're a prepper yourself. How do you view preppers in life? Maybe you view preppers like this guy here. Is that your idea of what a prepper is? 
I, I told in first service, I said it kind of looks like Pastor Dave about 10 years from now. Is That's what that's going to look like. Maybe your idea of prepping is this. It is sitting on a stockpile with a gas mask and guns. The idea behind prepping is this. You need to accumulate beans, band-aids, and bullets. And I would add to that one word, another B word, that would be a bunker. So you have bunker, beans, band-aids, and bullets. Is that your idea of what it means to prepare? Most people, most Christians approach preparing on one of two ways, and they seem to be two extremes of a scale. On the one end, you have people who say, God will take care of me. I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to prepare for anything. God is obligated. He will take care of me, so I'm not going to do anything. And they kind of live in denial of any of the events that the Bible talks about. So that's one extreme. The other extreme says this, God won't take care of me. It's all up to me. I need to find a bunker. I need to find shelving and food and bullets and beans, and I need to stockpile as much as I possibly can, and I need to hide it all. And that's two ends of the extreme. As always, God is somewhere right in the middle of that whole discussion. There are three things that the Bible talks about when it comes to preparedness. The first is a kind of physical preparedness that God wants us to have. The second thing that he talks about is a mental preparedness. And the third is a spiritual preparedness. So we're going to look at these three kinds of ways to prepare today physically, mentally, and spiritually for the things that are coming our way. Let's start with the physical preparedness part of this. To understand physical preparedness, I want you to know that the Bible does mention many times, multiple times, about being physically prepared. It is a good thing. It is a positive thing. It is something that we should do. I'm going to ask you to pray about it yourself, to talk to your family yourself about how you should be preparing in order to deal with the things that Jesus is warning about. Let me give you two examples from the Old Testament about physical preparedness. One comes in the book of Genesis. In fact, they both do. But one in the book of Genesis is the story of Noah. Now, Noah was at a time where the world had become very sick. It was very evil. It was very wicked at the time of Noah. God says to Noah that he was grieved in his heart that he had even made mankind because man's heart and mind were only evil continually. It was wicked. It was disgusting. It really reminds you a lot of things that are happening in our world today. That's the way it was. God said, I am going to bring judgment. I'm going to wipe out this world and I'm going to start over. And that was the flood that was going to happen. The flood is a picture of God's judgment. It is a picture of God's wrath. God gave Noah this idea about 120 years before it happened. God spoke it, but it was not going to be fulfilled for 120 years. About estimates are 55 to 75 years prior to the flood actually happening, God gave Noah the command to build an ark and to prepare yourself. Now let's look at what it says. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 14, it says, God said to Moses, or sorry to Noah, God said, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood you shall make the ark with compartments and smear pitch on it, both inside and out. Now, this was a good 55 to 75 years before the judgment would come, before the rain would fall, and before the flood would actually happen. He says, prepare yourself. I'm giving you ample warning to prepare yourself. I'm giving you ample time. Build the boat. 
And then he says a few verses later to him, as for you, take for yourself every kind of edible food and gather it to yourself. It will be food for you and for them. But what does God do? God warns them. He says, prepare, build the boat, get the boat ready, stock up supplies on the boat because my judgment is going to happen. My judgment is coming in the future. My judgment is appointed for a time. You prepare yourself in the meantime for what is going to come. Now notice the principle here. Noah didn't wait until it started raining to build the ark. That is the principle. If Noah had been like most of us, he would have started pounding nails or pounding pegs in, in, to build this boat on the day that it started raining. It would be like, uh-oh, I felt a few raindrops. I better start getting to work. That's how most of us prepare. Most of us are like how I approached college for my first year. My first year of college was awful. I was so distracted because of a girl who is sitting back here in the corner now, 30 years later, but I was so distracted by a girl that I did not, I did not read my books enough. I didn't go to class enough. And I would, I, you found out in college that you don't have to actually show up for the class. And that was a bad thing. In high school, you know, you're expected to show up for the class, but in college, there's nobody taking attendance most of the time. At least it was then. And so I showed up on the day of the test, having not taken a note, listened to a lecture, or read the book. And I had just prayed, Lord, let this be multiple choice. That is my only hope here. I did not prepare. The ones that were successful are the ones that prepared. Noah did not wait until it started raining in order to prepare. I would tell you the same thing. If God warns and says there will be famines, there will be earthquakes, do not wait until those things are already happening to say, uh-oh, I had better prepare. Let me give you another story from the Old Testament. It's a guy by the name of Joseph. Joseph was a wonderful man of God, but Joseph was hated by his brothers. Uh, Joseph's brothers threw him in a hole and sold him off to slave traders. Joseph found himself in Egypt, and he was then in Egypt starting to climb the ranks until he was falsely accused and thrown into jail. Pharaoh, who was the leader of Egypt, had a dream. And it was rumored that Joseph could interpret the dream. Pharaoh's dream went like this. Pharaoh, in his vision and in his dream, the first part of it, he saw seven cows. And the seven cows were, were beautiful cows. They were good-looking cows. They were full and fat cows. And then he saw seven other cows. And those seven other cows were skinny and ugly and emaciated. And they looked like they were barely standing. Then he had another part of the dream. Second part of the dream, he saw seven plump kernels of corn or ears of corn on the stalks and they looked fantastic and they looked wonderful to eat. And then in the second part of the dream, he saw seven ears of corn that were dry and had no grain and were scorched by the heat. And that is the vision he had. Seven good cows, seven bad cows. Seven good ears of corn, seven bad ears of corn. He heard that Joseph could interpret this, so he called for Joseph. Joseph said, King, let me let you know what's going on. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to have seven good years in your land. Seven years of plenty, enormous crops, abundance of crops. Then you're going to have seven years where it is going to be drought-laden. There's no crops. There's no crops. 
The animals are going to really starve and suffer. It's going to be a bad time. Seven good years followed by seven bad years. Here's what Joseph says or what it records about Joseph. Then seven years of famine will come after the seven good years, and all the abundance in the land of Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will consume the land. So the abundance in the land will be unknown because of the famine that follows. In other words, you're going to forget how good it was because it's going to be so bad. For it will be a very oppressive famine. I don't know if that's what Jesus is talking about, if he's saying it's going to be a very oppressive famine, but you can probably assume that it is. It's going to be bad. Seven good years followed by seven bad years where it will be an oppressive famine that you will so forget the abundance because it's going to be so bad at that time. So here's Joseph's advice to Pharaoh. Joseph says to the Pharaoh, let Pharaoh act by appointing administrators over the land and take a fifth portion from the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food from these good years that are coming and let them store up grain under Pharaoh's hand as food for the cities so that they may preserve it. Let the food be held in reserve for the land for the seven years of famine that is coming upon the land of Egypt. Then the land will not be annihilated by the famine. What is the principle behind all of this? Principle is this, Joseph didn't wait until the famine started in order to store up food. So what is the principle for us? I can't tell you what to do. I can't tell you what you should do. But I'm telling you, if Jesus says there's going to be famine and earthquakes, maybe we just need to prepare a little bit physically for that. I don't know how much you need to prepare. I don't know what you need to prepare, but maybe you need to prepare in such a way that you can help other people who didn't prepare at that time. Prepare in such a way as that you feel like I am ready for what may come. I trust God, but God has also given me the brain and the wisdom to prepare in the meantime. I can't be one that just shows up on the day and says, whoops, I didn't study. God, get me through this mess. He never did that, by the way, for me, ever. He didn't, he didn't give me a, an A on a test that I did not study for. He says, I expect you to prepare. I expect you to have wisdom. Use your wisdom in order to prepare. Look at a couple of other verses here from Proverbs. Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, you slacker. In other words, look, look at an ant. Just observe an ant. As soon as I read this, the first thing that comes to my mind is A Bug's Life from Pixar, Disney Pixar, you know? Think of that movie. Think of the ants in that movie. They're storing up constantly, storing, harvesting, putting it all together. Think of the ant, you slacker. Consider its ways and be wise. In other words, you can learn a lesson from them. It has no commander, nobody's in charge, no overseer, no ruler, yet it prepares its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. It's got enough sense and enough wisdom to put food aside for what days may happen. By the way, this is not only about food, this is also a financial principle as well. Do not go out and blow your entire paycheck on toys and consumable things and materialistic purchases. Instead, put some aside for the things that you may need later in life. Got that? These are financial and food principles. Proverbs 20. A slacker will not plow in season, 
So at harvest, he looks but finds nothing. I, I've got a brother-in-law who's a farmer. And um, he, uh, they will plow in the spring and plant in the spring so that they can harvest in the fall. If you're somebody who plows in the fall, you're not going to get a harvest at all. So he says, prepare. Proverbs 21, precious treasure and oil are in a wise person's dwelling, but a foolish person devour, devours all that he has. Again, think of that. That's a, that's a financial and a food principle as well. You get a paycheck, especially in our, in our community, and, and we may be in for a world of hurt if the mines and the oil industry that they're predicting goes south, but we have people that just spend and spend and spend. They get a paycheck and they buy every kind of toy and every kind of consumable and they're spending it on everything that they can and in debt up to their eyeballs. God says, no, you're wise if you have something put aside. If you have treasure and oil in your dwelling, you are wise. Prepare. Prepare yourself. Prepare your life. One final one, Proverbs 24. Finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. Take care of those things afterward. Do the things you need to do today. So physical preparedness. We need to be physically prepared. You need to pray about that. Think about that. Talk about that with your family. Think about how much do I need to be physically prepared? What should I be doing? How should I, how should I live life? I don't want to not trust God, but I, I need to do some work that he calls me to do. I, I, need, I can't just say God will take care of everything or I can't say God will take care of nothing. Find the balance in the middle. Okay, there's also another kind of preparedness and that is mental preparedness. God expects us to be prepared physically and he expects us to be prepared mentally. Look at this. Proverbs 22 verse 3 and then Proverbs 27 12, they're almost identical. I, I'm, gonna, I, I'm gonna tell you what these words mean. A crafty person, that is not somebody who does needlepoint or makes quilts or has a wood shop. That's not the crafty person he's talking about. A crafty person, the word crafty means shrewd, prudent, having good sense, okay? A good-sensed person sees danger. I want you to notice the word sees. The word sees means has vision, foresight, and the ability to look ahead. A good-sensed person has the foresight and the vision to look ahead and see danger and hide. But the naive don't do that. The naive or the simple person, the unwise person, keeps going Oh, it'll all work itself out. It'll be okay. And they suffer for it. Let me give you an example of this. My son, Andrew, who is now 20, 26 now. My son, Andrew, and he um, just love Andrew. Uh, he, he's such a wonderful kid. Not a kid, man now. Um, he's a lot stronger than I am, so I don't mess with him. So he's a man, yes. Um, when he was little, we lived in Williston, North Dakota. I was pastoring in a church there. And we went to a carnival that was downtown in Williston one day. My wife and I and the Andrew and his sister Alyssa were there and little Abigail was there. And Andrew probably was maybe four at the time, about four years old. 
And he was always running everywhere. He, he just ran everywhere. I couldn't believe how much energy this kid had. He just ran all over the place. But when he ran, there was always a problem. He ran with his head straight down because he loved to watch his feet move as he ran. Well, one day we were at this carnival downtown. They had booths that were set up. They had food booths and game booths. They had a little place where you could do horse rides, little pony rides. I was standing by the pony rides and Andrew was right there with me. He was so excited, really wanted to do a pony ride. Dad, can I please do a pony ride? I said, sure, your mom has some money. Go ask your mom for some money and then you could do a pony ride. Well, he starts running across the street. She was, uh, she was down the block, and he starts running as fast as he can, again, full, full out, 100 miles an hour, with his head down. That's the problem, because he didn't see what I saw, and that was all of the picnic tables that were set up in the middle of the street. Andrew, running at full speed with his head down, hit one of those picnic tables, and I am not kidding you, it was a cartoon picture because his legs and his hands went out, wrapped around the table. It was, at the same time, hilarious and sad, <laughs> okay? He started crying, we went over, we had to comfort him. He cried for a long time, it hurt bad. What was the reason behind that? because he ran with his head down and we would get after him. You can't run with your head down. You got to run with your head up. You've got to look ahead. That's this verse. A wise, prudent, shrewd, good-sensed person runs looking ahead with vision, looking ahead and foreseeing what is coming your way. But if you're naive and simple and unwise, you run with your head down. A biblically prepared person is mentally prepared because they have the foresight of knowledge to understand what is coming our way. Don't deny it. Don't pretend like it doesn't exist. Understand what the Bible says and see the things that are coming before us. Have foresight. Proverbs 27, almost the same words. The prudent, in other words, the, again, the uh, ones who have good sense, the, the ones that are wise, they have vision, they look ahead, they see danger, and they hide. They see danger coming, and they don't jump in the middle of it. They see danger, and they prepare themselves. But the naive keep going and pay the penalty. Notice those two verses. In the first one, the naive keep going and they suffer. The second one, the naive keep going and they will pay the penalty. If you're naive for all of this, if you don't look ahead and see what's happening, if you don't look from a geopolitical point of view at the world's events, you will suffer and you will pay the penalty. But the ones that are wise, that heed the warning, that understand the warning, understand what's coming and prepare adequately. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong. That's mental preparedness. 1 Peter 1, 13 says, so brace your minds for action. Get your mind ready for action. Keep your balance, set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua, the Messiah. 1 Peter 5, 8, stay alert, look out. Pay attention. See what's coming ahead of you. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion searching for someone to devour. That's mental preparedness. So he expects us to be physically prepared. He's given us the warning. 
He expects us to be mentally prepared, but the most important way you can be prepared is through spiritual preparedness, to be spiritually prepared. Romans 13, 11, Paul says these words. He says, besides this, you know the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. Notice that word, awaken from sleep, wake up. He's saying, wake up. You know the time, wake up, don't sleep through this. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first came to trust. He's saying, spiritually, this is what's gonna matter. Wake up spiritually. Don't be asleep spiritually. Don't nap on this. Don't think, oh, it's no big deal, or God will take care of it all, or it'll, it'll all work itself out. Don't sleep on it. Wake up and pay attention, for the hour is near, and you don't want to miss it. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, there's a warning that is given. And the warning is given to the churches, and it says this. God is specifically speaking. Jesus is saying this to the churches. And here's what he says. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. I, I, I know your deeds. You're, you're a good person. You do good deeds. You got good things going on. People like you. You, you act with character and integrity most of the time. People like you, they know your deeds, they see what you do, but God is saying this, but I know the real you, and I know the inside of you, and you're dead. And everybody else thinks you're alive and you're wonderful, but when I look inside of you, I see death. See, the way God has made us is that he has made us with a spirit. You are physically alive, you have a body, but you have a spirit, and the spirit is the part of you that God makes alive. That's what it means to be born again. You are born once physically, but you're born again in your spirit when God comes in and makes your spirit alive. God's saying, look, you are alive looking, but I know your heart, and your heart is dead. It's time to wake up. See what he says? Wake up. Strengthen what remains that was about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. Death comes like a thief. Jesus will return like a thief. You don't know when the hour is going to be. You don't know when the time is going to be. You can't sleep through it. You can't just nap on God. It's time to wake up. That begs the question then, how exactly do I wake up? And I want to close with this final verse. Chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, verses 20 and 21, tells us the picture of how to wake up. How do I spiritually prepare my heart? You see, it's one thing to be physically prepared, <laughs> But it's more important to be spiritually prepared. My wife reminded me between services of, of this parable that Jesus told. He told the parable of a guy who filled his barns with grain and acquired all kinds of stuff. And he had amassed an immense amount of wealth. And he said, look at what I have done. Look at how great I am. Look at how much I have accomplished. And in the parable, Jesus says, you fool, you did not know that today your life was going to be called from you. You did not know that your hour was here. 
you're going to perish with nothing because you haven't spiritually prepared. You've only physically prepared. You've got to be spiritually prepared. Revelation chapter three, verses 20 and 21. Here's what it says. Jesus himself saying this. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. I just want you to notice those words. I want you to think about that mental picture. Jesus saying, behold, I, I stand at the door. I'm standing at your door. What, what door? Is it your house, your heart, your life, all of the above? Jesus saying, I'm standing at your door and I'm knocking on your door. I'm knocking on your heart. I'm knocking on your home. I'm knocking on your life. I'm knocking on the door and you have a choice, really three choices. One, you could just um, pretend like you're not home. You could army crawl out of the living room, hoping he won't see you through the window and ignore him. Many people do that. They just ignore him. He's knocking. I don't want anything to do with him. And you just ignore him. And you ignore his knock. And in the end, you will suffer the consequences if you do. Second group of people, you could have him knocking on your door. He's getting a hold of you. You come to the door. You open the door. You see it's Jesus. You hear from Jesus. And then you close the door on him. Because I don't want that. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in what you're offering. I'm not interested in who you are. I'm not interested in any of this. And you could just close the door on Jesus. At least you opened it, but then you closed it right back in his face. The third group of people is this. It's the ones who he stands on the door. He's knocking on the door. You open the door and you're excited to see him. And you say, Jesus, come in. I have been waiting for you. I want you to come into my house. I want you to come into my life. And Jesus says, if you will open the door, I will come in and I will dine with him and he with me. That's fellowship. I will have relationship with you. I will fellowship with you. I will have closeness with you. The ones who open the door to Jesus are the ones that are spiritually prepared. The ones that pretend like they're not home, the ones that close the door on him and say, I don't want that, they're the ones that need to wake up. Have you opened the door of your life and your heart to Jesus? And when he has knocked on your door, you have said, I am so thankful you were here. I have been waiting for you. Come into my life and we will have fellowship and we will have relationship. Then Jesus says to the one who overcomes, I will grant the right to sit with me on my throne just as I myself overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Be an overcomer. How can you be an overcomer? By opening the door. When do I open the door? It's when he's knocking on the door. For you, some of you today, you have never opened the door to Jesus. And right now, even in this place, you can sense it. You can sense he's knocking on the door of my heart right now. He's talking to me. He's talking about me. I, I, I just, I know, I know God's knocking on my door. It's time for me to open it and say, Jesus, come into my life. See, you can be physically prepared. You can be mentally prepared. But if you are not spiritually prepared, you're not prepared at all. Physical preparedness only goes so far. Mental preparedness only goes so far. Spiritual preparedness 
means eternal life. Are you spiritually prepared? Would you pray with me? Father, that is my hope and my prayer today. That we are people, whether it's people here or people watching online or people watching later, Lord, that we are people who are spiritually prepared. That you have knocked on the doors of our hearts. That you've knocked on our lives And you're giving us the opportunity, saying, will you please open the door to me and let me in? I pray, Father, that we would be the kind of people that say, Jesus, yes. I'm so excited you're here. I'm so excited to meet with you. I am ready for you to come into my life. I am so sorry for the mess that is in my heart. I'm so sorry for the sins that I have committed and the wrongs that I have done. I'm so sorry, Lord. But thank you that you are willing to come into my life anyway, that you're willing to forgive me of those things and make my heart right. You're willing to clean my heart and make it brand new. I pray, Lord, for those in this room or those that are watching who have never made that decision, that today would be the day, this would be the moment. I trust right now, Lord, that you are knocking on people's hearts, saying, would you please let me in? You've been keeping me out far too long. You've been keeping the door locked to me for far too long. It's time to open the door. And that just in this moment, Lord, we would say, yes, Jesus, come in. I want you here. You're welcome here. I want that relationship with you. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have of being able to be spiritually prepared. Help us also, though, Lord, to be mentally prepared and physically prepared. Help us to be warned about the things that are coming, about the things that we are seeing transpire around the world. Lord, help us to be wise and prepare as you're calling us to, but Lord, help us to be prepared with you to meet you, and to spend eternity with you. Thank you so much for the privilege we have here today of being in your word. Now work in us as we leave and bless us and watch over us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the Give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day and may God bless you.